The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress, a collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The natural hybrid is made from natural latex, natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep and supports. Go to lisa.com forward slash nancy to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash nancy. February 2004, Mara Murray empties her bank account, drives four hours from school, crashes her car, and vanishes. Join the search as an investigative reporter uncovers new evidence, interrogates new witnesses, traces down new leads in this riveting new investigative series. The Disappearance of Maura Murray, Saturdays, 7, 6 Central, and 9, 8 Central on Oxygen, the new network for crime. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph, Channel 132. The search is on for a missing two-week-old baby. She was only 15 days old, but even in that short time, Tim Bell loved every ounce of his little granddaughter, Kalia McNabb. She was tiny. You had to feed her every two hours, changing the little diapers there, and her little head was about the size of a tennis ball. Her parents said they fed and changed her at 5 a.m. Saturday. They reported her missing at 10 that morning. Newton County, I want to stress the emergency. I just woke up. My dog woke me up on the couch. I have a two-year-old and I have two-week-old. My two-week-old is not in her sleep her passes on the floor. She's not in her sleeper. She's not in her sleeper. She's not here. You know who got my kid, man? But I want my kid back, man. That's my child, man. I want my kid, man. A 15-day-old baby girl, Kalia McNabb, goes missing. 
I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. An all points bulletin and Amber Alert goes out for baby Kalia. Straight out to Dave Mack, syndicated talk show host joining us. Dave Mack, what can you tell me about the 15-day-old baby gone missing? Because Ashley Wilcott, you're a child advocate. You're with me. At 15 days, one of my children were still in the NICU. That would be Lucy weighing in at a big two pounds. And I spent the rest of my time staring at John David to make sure he was breathing. So how does a 15-day-old baby go missing? It's not like it can, you know, go outside and catch an Uber. Dave Mack, how does the baby girl go missing? Nancy, it's one of those stories where the parents say that the last time they saw the baby was when they fed her at 5 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning. Then they went back to check on her between 9.30 and 10, and she was gone. Hold on. I know I'm just a lawyer, Dave Matt, but let me just do the math here. 5 a.m. to 9.30. So a newborn baby manages to be unattended for four and a half hours. Wow. That's incredible to me because when mine were that age, it was about every two hours they had to be fed. Plus, I was already staring at them anyway. So let me understand this. Dave Max, syndicated talk show host, you're telling me the mom and the dad had their eyes on the baby around 5 a.m. Is that correct? That's correct. To Dr. Daniel Bober, forensic psychiatrist, joining me. Dr. Bober, thank you for being with us. They do call 911 immediately after discovering the baby's not there, don't they? Yes, Nancy. Uh, and that's what you would expect. Um, I did, you know, think it was odd that they would, the babies would disappear from their site for a total of four hours. That did, did seem a little odd to me. As you say, you know, usually these feedings are every two hours. So I'm just wondering what was going on during that time period. But yes, calling 911 is obviously the thing to do. I want you to hear the 911 call for yourself. Listen. Neaton County 911, just the emergency. I just woke up. My dog woke me up on the couch. Um, I have a two-year-old and I have a two-week-old, and my my two-week-old is not in her sleeper. Her passy's on the floor. She's not in her sleeper. I, she's not in her sleeper. She's she, she's not here. I've looked everywhere. I've looked under clothes and everything. What's your address, name? One two one four five, Highway thirty six, lot thirty one. Yes, lot thirty one. Do you think somebody took her, ma'am? My child said my my, my two-year-old says she's gone. And I've looked everywhere in the house, so I don't, I don't know another possibility. What lot number are you at? 31. Okay. And you said you were sleeping, woke up, and she was gone? Yes. My, my, my two-year-old came and woke me up. Okay. That's why I was on the couch. Kalea! How old is she, ma'am? Two weeks old. Okay. And you, who else would have come in your house? I mean, as far as I know, nobody would have came in my house. My two-year-old says, Papa, but I called my dad and I called my grandparents, and they don't have her. Okay. My dad's on the way here now. Okay. Uh, All right. How long have you been asleep? Um, the last time I woke up with her was around, I guess, five, maybe. Okay. So you were asleep since 5 o'clock? Yes. I didn't even mean to fall asleep on the couch. I sat down for a minute after dealing with her all night. Or can you tell if someone's been there? Is her blanket there gone? Um, her blanket's gone. Her pasty's here on the floor. Her blanket's not with us. I don't know where 
I mean, I, I, I don't know. I guess it's with her. Okay. And I have clothes and totes, but I've looked all in on it. She's not here. Anything else missing, like a baby bag that she would, that you would have or anything else? No. Her bottle's here on top of my shelf. Okay. What about no, it, it's in my bathroom on my vanity. I'm sorry. Ma'am? Huh? What about anything else that could possibly have gone, like, could be hers that could have gone with her? Um, no. Nothing else. Just her and her blanket. Okay, so the only thing is miss, that's missing is her and her blanket. Yeah. You didn't talk to the dad or grandma or anybody else? My dad was here with me. Dad just left, and he's walking around the park looking for her. Because my two-year-old says, I asked her, did somebody come in and take her? And she said, yeah, but I don't, I, you know, she's two, so I don't know if right. I can believe right. that or, or not. Did you look through everything, like under the bed? Yes, the ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Kalia. All right, what's your name, ma'am? Courtney Bell, C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-B-E-L-L. Just to let you know, Courtney, they've been on the way out there. I'm just getting this information to update them, okay? Thank you so much. What's your phone number? Um, I'm not sure of this number. I, my phone busted the other day. Um, okay. This is my grandmother's phone. She's been letting me use. All right, so you and the dad both were – I'm just trying to get the understanding so I can let them know because uh, of the questions that they're asking me. You and the dad both were sleeping or he just came back home? No, me and him woke up together. She woke us up together. Okay. Okay, the two-year-old woke uh, y'all up and told y'all that the baby was gone? Yes. Okay. She, and he, she was kind of freaked out. I mean, it, I don't I don't know. Because she was just standing there beside the couch in the corner. And I told her, come here, and I loved on her. And then I told my baby's dad to go check on Kalia. And then he's talking about she's not in here. She's not in here. Okay, well, the police should be in the area now. Thank you. Uh-huh. I'll go ahead and let you go, okay? Thanks. Uh-huh. Another issue, Ashley Wilcott joining me, child advocate. The baby was put to bed, back to bed, was fed and changed, according to the parents, at 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning and put back in bed with her two-year-old sister. Now, you and I know about co-sleeping. Absolutely. You're not supposed to co-sleep, mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't know that. But what strikes me about that is whoever would have taken the baby would it have woken up the two-year-old sister? A long time ago, before I had children, I would say, of course. You come in the room, you get a child out of the bed, of course it's going to wake up the other child. Not necessarily true, Ashley, because I can pick up one of my children and move them to another bed, and they don't remember a thing about it the next morning. They have no idea how they ended up where they were. So, And they're nine, Ashley. Sure. So it can happen. It would not surprise me that the two-year-old sister did not wake up. I agree. It wouldn't surprise me at all. But remember, this is also a tiny, tiny baby. They said the head could fit in a person's hand. And so being such a tiny baby, you're right. They may not at all notice, a two-year-old may not at all notice if a little baby's picked up, even if the baby's sleeping right next to the two-year-old. Now, did the two-year-old roll over on the baby and suffocate the baby? Maybe they're sleeping in the same bed. That's the danger. You know what's interesting, Ashley Wilcott? To this day, people insist that Burke Ramsey killed John Benet Ramsey, which is statistically virtually impossible. Okay. You know, a sibling side, as it's called in slang, uh, sibling side is very, very rare. Plus, if you look back at Burke 
and John Bonet, she was the dynamo. Burke was the one that was frail and pale. It looked like she could crack him in half. I never bought into that theory. The likelihood that a two-year-old little girl could roll over on an infant, while technically possible, I find very unlikely somebody took the baby out of the crib. And remember, we're basing all of this on the parent's timeline. Take a listen to the father as he begs begs Christopher McNabb begging for the return of his baby girl Kalia. You know who got my kid, man? But I want my kid back, man. That's my child, man. I want my kid, man. So what happened to Kalia McNabb? Let's just talk forensically for one moment. With me is forensics expert, professor of forensics at Jacksonville State University, Joseph Scott Morgan. Joe Scott, thank you for being with me, along with Dr. Daniel Bober, Dave Mack, and Ashley Wilcott. Joe Scott, let's just break it down. I have handled many cases where a child disappears from their own bedroom. This family did not have an alarm system. Anybody could have gotten into that home. Very, very easy access. They were in a community where the homes are very close together. Nobody heard anything. Nobody saw anything. But still, the likelihood of an intruder, a stranger, taking the baby out of the bedroom is low. Not necessarily true at malls or at fairs or out in the public. But to come into your home and take your baby, a stranger kidnap, very low likelihood, but it does happen. Do I have to say Polly Class or Elizabeth Smart? It does happen, Joe Scott. It does, Nancy, but I tell my students at, at university in my criminal investigations club that the cases they're going to work as investigators, they're they're going to be looking at intimates far more frequently than they will at strangers. You will have uh, more means, opportunity, and motive in that context with the people that you live with. Uh, and this is kind of making me scratch my head. How would someone uh, just out of the blue snatch this little angel out of the bed and then they disappear for this extremely long amount of time without any accountability whatsoever? Uh, it, it makes me look really hard now at the people that are indwelling this, this house and also any individuals that may have had access to this house. Who do we know? Dave Max, syndicated talk show host. Who had access to the home? Again, there's no burglary alarm system, nothing like that. What relatives or neighbors could get into this home? Well, Nancy, as you mentioned, they did live in a, an area that had a number of other homes nearby. There was no alarm system. So, yeah, there was access and there were family members nearby. Uh, because they actually were helping in the search. So there's any number of people that could have had access if, in fact, the baby was kidnapped. Now, I want you to listen now to sound that we have obtained for you of a convenience store clerk that came upon the father, Christopher McNabb. You just heard him pleading for his child's return. Listen. He just came in and he said, hey, you remember me from last night? And I said, no, sir. He said, you sure? I said, yes, sir. He said, remember, my baby's the one that got kidnapped. And I said, y'all don't leave me. Y'all don't leave me. That's him. That's him. And then they were standing there. And I said, please don't leave me. And then he started hollering and talking about, they're going to get me. They're going to get me. I've been running all day. I've been in the woods all day. And I tried to call 911. And it went go through. And I called again. went go through. And then the third time I called, it went through. And he's still standing here. And I said, uh, he said, they're not going to get me. He said, and anybody trust him. With me, they're going to get in trouble, too. And I said, 
Okay, okay, but I don't remember you like that, you know. And then he went to the door, and when he went to the door, I hit it again and got 911. An alarm? I called 911 again, and I got him, and I said, he's here. He's at 36 at the Chevron. He's in my store. He's going crazy. I don't know what his problem is, but he said he was running from the cops. He'd been hid in the woods all day. I said, he's, he's really scary. Somebody needs to get here quick. And lastly, to know that that baby is, is, is dead, what does that mean to you? He's considered a person of interest. He is a person of interest. But he kept saying, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, we didn't do it, they did it. And when y'all are going to be surprised when y'all find out who really did it. But I didn't do it. There you were hearing the father, Christopher McNabb, who understandably was erratic and almost crazy acting, upon the news that his baby girl was found in a duffel bag in the woods. The baby found in a duffel bag in, a, in the woods. Volunteer search crews say they find 15-day-old Kalia McNabb stuffed in a duffel bag. Stuffed in a duffel bag. The county sheriff says that when they try to speak, to the father, Christopher McNabb, he jumped out of a car and ran away. Ashley Wilcott jumped out of the car and ran away. If my child, God forbid this ever happened, is missing, you think I'm going to jump out of a car and run away? Oh, oh, no. I'll jump out of a car and run toward the sheriff's car right. to find my child. Right. It's guilt. He's guilty of something. He's Even if it's just probation violation. But I would stand by... The he or the mother in the house with this infant know what happened if they didn't do it. What do we know, Dave Mack, about his behavior? He actually he got out and started running. That's the whole thing is that they're they found his baby. He's been swearing up and down that he's wanting to find his child, that he didn't do anything. And yet the minute they tell him, hey, we found the baby, he takes off running and is gone for several hours. We are bringing you the latest in the disappearance of a 15-day-old baby girl, Kalia McNabb. The parents, Christopher McNabb and Courtney Bell. That brings me to another question to Dr. Daniel Bober. Where was the mom all this time? How could she not know? The dad is now charged. How could she not know what was going on in her own home? Well, that's that's the whole point, Nancy. Circumstantially, it just doesn't really add up. It just seems like there's a lot of people that don't have a lot of information, and these are the people that, like uh, your last guest said, are the intimates. These are people that should really know what the whereabouts of the child are, and no one seems to really know anything, uh, and it just doesn't really seem to fit. No, it doesn't fit, and when it doesn't fit, there's a reason, Joe Scott Morgan. Yes, yes, absolutely there is, and I think that... Uh, you know, we're uh, as as forensics people and, and investigators, we're always having to uh, observe the abnormal in the context of the normal. This is not marrying up uh, with what you would expect out of normal behavior from people that are in charge of not just a 15 day old baby, but a 15 day old premature baby. These are the most fragile among us, Nancy, as you well know, and require the most intensive care possible. And I'm not just talking about a hospital. I'm talking about once they get this child home. So it really gives us pause, doesn't it? Police questioned the mother, Kalia's mother, and she was released. However, the baby's father, Christopher McNabb, when he found out the baby's body had been discovered, he took off running. Now, the law in that jurisdiction is that a judge would never give a jury an instruction on flight. 
However, it can be argued by the prosecutor. You know, let me ask you a question, Dave Mack. When you're driving on the interstate and you see the Georgia State Patrol pull up behind you, I assume that you might tap on the brakes and slow down, but you don't take off at 90 MPH to get away from them or jump out of your car and run on foot because you don't have a reason to. What you can argue to a jury, Dave Mack, that flight is evidence of guilt. Yes, Absolutely. And on top of all that, Nancy, if you were looking for your baby, your 15-day-old baby, and the police pull up behind you, the first thing you're going to do is slam on the brakes, assuming they've got information, not the opposite. To Joseph Scott Morgan, death investigator and professor of forensics at Jacksonville State University, what do we know about the autopsy? You know, Nancy, given that the GBI has just released the cause of death in this particular case involving this child, This raises all kinds of new questions. It's no longer a matter of some kind of natural event. Maybe they, uh, the child just passed away in their sleep and the parents were trying to hide it. Now we're truly faced with what appears to be, at least on the surface, homicidal trauma. The ME has now come out and said that this was, in fact, a death as a result of blunt force trauma. Now, there's a lot that, that there is to consider here moving forward. How are we going to handle the witnesses in this particular case? How are they going to be questioned? Hopefully, they're going to keep these people separated so that they can't try to you know, get their stories straight among themselves. And then we have to consider this idea of what generated this injury. And one of the things that the ME is going to be looking at is, was this an instrument that created this trauma, like a blunt object, or was it a bare hand? One other thing that we have to consider here that is not off of the table is, was this child dropped on their head that brought about this trauma? And, you know, that that's obviously a distinct possibility. And it's it's going they're going to have to go some distance, I think, to to kind of paint this picture. But now, The police have all of the information that they need at this point as far as the physical cause of death to go into these rooms and question everybody involved in this case very, very specifically. Interesting. The mother is not detained. The father charged on an unrelated probation violation. That could be anything from um, a jaywalking to um, a DUI. It could be anything. To Dr. Daniel Bober, psychiatrist, I'm just curious about the mother the mother of the baby, how can she not know what happened to the baby? That the baby's gone and stuffed in a duffel bag and left in the woods, Dr. Bober. Yes, Nancy, you know, I, I've mean, I worked in pediatrics and, you know, what your guest said is true about, especially about preemies. Um, uh, the, the parents never leave their side. I mean, these are parents that basically live in the NICU. They are by the incubator. They don't leave they don't even go to the bathroom. And when the babies are home, you know, we know, for example, that premature infants can have a higher risk of crib death. They are terrified, petrified that something is going to happen and they never leave their side. So the timeline that the parents provided and the fact that the babies were out of sight for so long just doesn't add up at all. It really doesn't. To Ashley Wolcott, lawyer and child advocate, Ashley I want to hear your thoughts on the mother. She has to know what happened. I do not believe that this infant, who by all accounts has to be fed every two hours, was left alone in a crib with the two-year-old for more than four hours, and the mother of that infant doesn't know what happened. If she was there, she has to know, if not complicit. 
I just cannot believe that those two individuals in this house do not know what happened to their now dead baby. We are on the case on little baby Kalia. Let me pause and thank our partner, shining a light on unsolved homicides and missing people. When you run your own business, you know time equals money. That's not just an old saying, it's true. So why waste your valuable time dealing with issues LegalZoom can help with? You may already know over 2 million people have used LegalZoom to start their businesses, but LegalZoom services don't end there. Running a business comes with taxes, contracts, hiring employees, basically a lot of fine print. And that is why LegalZoom built a network of independent lawyers They're licensed in all 50 states to provide you the advice you need to get through the daily grind of running a business. And you don't have to worry about billable hours. LegalZoom is not a law firm. Instead, you can count on upfront pricing and clarity. So invest your time and money in growing your business. Let LegalZoom help with the legal stuff. For special savings, be sure to enter promo code NANCY, N-A-N-C-Y, in the referral box at checkout for special savings only at LegalZoom.com. LegalZoom.com. Is there a major break in the search for the beautiful little girl who goes missing while her parents are on vacation? Maddie McCann, also known as Madeline McCann. She's absolutely beautiful. And you can't mistake her. One eye is a slightly different color than the other eye. She is physically beautiful and apparently was a happy happy little girl her parents go on vacation and tragically agree to have dinner about a football field length away from the apartment where the children are asleep it's my understanding dave max syndicated talk show host they can actually see the apartment the room where the children are asleep from where they are and they meet with another group of people and they're out having dinner Within eyeshot, now to me, a football field length away is a long way, but still, there it's within eyesight. And when they go back to check on her, she's gone. The other children are there. Maddie is gone. Um, what is the break in the case, Dave Mack? The break right now, the reason we're talking about it is they are looking for a widow woman, a woman they believe uh, that she lived near this holiday flat. At the time, Madeline vanished in May of 2007. They believe that before uh, she left the country, she left the country after her husband passed away, and they don't know her exact location somewhere in Eastern Europe. But that's the big break. What we know right now is police are desperately searching for a woman of Eastern European descent who is, as they say, a, quote, criminal witness in the disappearance of Maddie McCann. Now, how they didn't know this until right now, I don't know, but I do know this. Scotland Yard has just allocated another 154,000 pounds. Alan, uh, you'll have to look up and tell me what that is in in dollars. 154,000 British pounds in Operation Grange's 12 million pound budget to find this woman who detectives say could shed light on the disappearance of Maddie McCann. Now, she is believed to have lived in Praia de Lue, uh, where Madeline vanished that May. 
before leaving the country after her husband died? Why are they just now deciding that she is a forensic witness? They're claiming, according to Scotland Yard, she may have seen or heard something which to her may have been insignificant, but to us could prove vital. If she recognizes herself from this description, she should contact police immediately. She has nothing to fear. This is just to eliminate her from inquiries. Whoa. Okay. They are still working the theory that Maddie was taken during a, quote, burglary gone wrong. What do you make of it? Joining me, child advocate and trial lawyer Ashley Wilcox. Nancy, this is a tough one. Thank goodness they're still searching because I have to believe in my heart that no matter what happened to this child, whether she's safe today or not, something's going to shake loose. I think eventually it comes full circle and we will know what happened to Maddie. But the only way that can happen is if they continue the investigation, which thankfully they're doing. The odd thing is, like you said, they're now wanting to interview this witness. Well, why not sooner? Holy moly, Ashley, Ashley, hold that back up, Jack. Jackie is holding up her calculation. They've just been given $203,000. That's nearly a quarter of a million dollars. And this, as we learned, that Internet trolls have been bombarding Maddie McCann's parents with hate mail over the new cash infusion to find her as investigators still search for this woman of Eastern European descent. Of Eastern European descent. Police insist they think the woman has clues to Maddie's disappearance. Now, this is something I don't understand. Is it true Dave Mack, according to sources, her parents have been bombarded with hate mail? Why? Why would people do that to the parents? Haven't they suffered enough? Nancy, there are cowards who live on the Internet. and They hide behind anonymous names and Facebook pages and things like that. And there's many people that hold the parents responsible for Maddie's disappearance and the amount of money that's been spent on this case. So they come from several different angles. And it's attack on a regular basis. Every time something positive happens in this case, the trolls come out of the woodwork and take over. I, I, it's almost like a concerted effort to go after the McCann family. You know what? Uh, of course, you know, Joe Scott Morgan, forensics expert, uh, Joseph Scott Morgan is a professor of forensics at Jacksonville State University and a death investigator. Joe Scott, I know why some people are skeptical. Um, and that is because when a child goes missing, statistically, more often than not, someone within the family is involved. But in this case, I think it's very clear that Maddie was alive when they left for dinner. And they came back, and she's gone. And yes, it doesn't happen very often, but it did happen. Those, I mean, at first I was skeptical of the McCanns just because of statistics. But you've got a whole group of people sitting around dinner with them, and then there are the haters that blame them because they went to dinner and left the children unattended. Would any investigation eliminate all those principles that are in the immediate orbit of 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 the? The, the person that's missing, in this case, this little girl, eliminate them, and then you can move forward. This is the troubling part, Nancy. Uh, investigations are conducted on a linear timeline. We, the further we move out in time, the further we move out in time from that original point, the more memories get faded, the more evidence erodes, this sort of thing. I'm encouraged, uh, just like Ashley had mentioned, that, that they are still on this case. 
there are many cases like this that are sitting on desks all over the country here in the U.S. and all over the world that have just collected dust. But for some reason, it seems as though they know something. I think that with this new witness that they want to speak with, this this is this is a really big deal. And I'd, I'd be curious to know what it is that this what information does this person that hold? they didn't hold. One year, one year ago before she disappeared, this woman of Eastern European descent that lived near where Maddie went missing. I think it's just a combination of people angry that the McCanns left Maddie and her siblings alone. Um, some people think that they're guilty, that it's their fault, that they, they killed her. Um, and anger that maybe she's getting more attention or money than other missing children, which is true. But I can tell you this, from a crime victim's point of view, I'm just happy that they're getting the money and that they haven't given up hope and that the investigation is still happening. As they say, there's no indication this child is dead. After she went missing, her body or any suggestion of her death was never found. And, you know, Ashley, you're a trial lawyer like me. I mean, you know, those parents have gotten uh, grilled repeatedly they've been they've taken lie detector tests they've done everything you know that's who the investigators looked at first Mm -hmm. and they have said many times they are not suspects and i think nancy you've already identified the crucial thing which is people do not like these parents because they went to dinner and left two young children unsupervised but they've then taken that and rushed to judgment to say it's therefore the parents fault which isn't true legally in this case, they it's not. That's just a jump that a lot of um, angry, critical people are, are passing judgment on these two parents who are still wanting to find their daughter. You know, that night, the night that she went missing, Ashley Walcott, what happened that night when she went missing? I always go back to the beginning. Well, they were at dinner. They come back. She's gone. She's not there. And they were very clear. My recollection is when they were initially interviewed, that yes, they could see where they were staying from dinner. Even if it was a football field away, it was in eyesight. And they didn't see the daughter leave. They didn't see anyone take the daughter. It is a true crime mystery. They don't know what happened. But something they have been diligent and adamant that they will continue to search for their daughter and they will not lose hope or give up and boy isn't that a whole lot different than the dad who ran when his 15 day old was found dead you know this is how i remember it going down it was the evening in early may as i recall may 3rd and maddie was on vacation with her parents kate and jerry mccann she has two-year-old twin siblings so there's three children in all And they were all with a group of family and friends and their children. Okay. So Maddie and the twins had been left to sleep at um, that evening on a ground floor apartment. The McCann's and the other adult friends dined in a restaurant about 180 feet away. Now, it's not quite a football field. Let's see. A football field is 300 feet, right? Okay. So it's about, you know, two-thirds of a football field. I remember this part, uh, Joseph Scott Morgan, that the parents went and checked on the children throughout the evening. And say, you know, every 45 minutes, every hour, I I don't know those numbers, but I know that they checked on them during the evening. And the mother 
is the one that went back and discovered she was missing. Uh, they left her there at 2030. She was missing at 22, an hour and a half later. Somebody had to have seen or had to have known that she was taken. A lot of people claim Portuguese police came to believe that she died in an accident and the appearance covered it up. Ah, I think that has been completely debunked, Joseph Scott Morgan. Yeah, and uh, as you said earlier, there's no evidence of of, uh, of foul play relative to a homicide. Uh, you know, blood, this sort of thing, a disruption in the apartment. I think that it's really important, though, that the parents are going back and to check on these children because that tightens down the window, the time frame that we look at when we're building this timeline that I mentioned just a second ago in the immediate so we can frame it if the mother and the father can both state in the affirmative that they went at, at a particular time and then came back later in a measured amount of time. That narrows the field down of who would have had opportunity to get access to these children. They're on vacation, Nancy. They're awash with strangers all around them. And I know they're there with friends and family and all this, but let's keep in mind they're awash with people around them that are unknown to them. So Lord only knows who's kind of orbiting uh, this this place where they were staying. In the last days, the parents have spoken to the BBC. I want you to hear what they say. There is progress. Um, there are some very credible lines of inquiry that the police are working on. And whilst there's no evidence to, to give us any negative news, you know, that hope is still there. And so it really is there in your hearts? Yeah. The hope that one day you'll be reunited with your daughter. Yeah, well, no parent's going to give up on their child unless they know for certain their child's dead, and that we just don't have any evidence. So mm-hmm. you've My got hope to... of Madeline being out there is no less than it was almost 10 years ago. And now we head to Raleigh, North Carolina, for the very latest in the so-called cough syrup murder. What we have is a Bible college graduate and his young wife who works at home and is a Sunday school teacher herself. She ends up murdered in the couple's home. I want you to hear the 911 call that night. What What do you mean by that? What happened? I had a dream and then I turn on the lights and she's dead on the floor. How? 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 I'm blo- I'm, I have blood all over me, and there's a bloody knife on the bed, and I think I did it. In the last hours, we learned that investigators reportedly say they have seized bloody bed sheets, a knife set, and an empty box of cold medicine from the home of that Bible graduate, Matthew Phelps, the aspiring North Carolina pastor now suspected in brutally stabbing his young bride dead. To forensic psychiatrist Dr. Daniel Bober, what significance is this to you that they find an empty box of cold medicine in the home? Well, Nancy, it's highly suggestive that he was abusing the cough medicine, that he was using it recreationally. Uh, And as you and I had discussed before, you know, this is voluntary intoxication and it's not going to be good for the defense along with the 911 call, which in which he stated that he thinks the medicine can help him feel good and help him sleep. And so he wasn't using it as the way it was intended to be used medically. 
And if he was using it recreationally, uh, it's certainly not helpful to their side. Well, according to a search warrant, we now have the couple's bed sheets, bedspread, pillowcases were all seized from the home. The warrant also states the items were stained with an unknown red substance. Well, I can tell them what that is. It's blood. They also find an empty box of coracidin cough and cold medicine, a knife block set, several laptops, a desktop computer, and Lauren's iPhone. Um, they also took things like mortgage statements and receipts. Now, I wonder what the significance of those are. But Dr. back to you, Dr. Daniel Bober, when you find, and I'm just thinking about this as a trial lawyer from that perspective, when you find an empty uh-huh. box of cold medicine and you know that the suspect is saying, I took the cold medicine. I was out of my mind. I didn't know what I was doing. I would want to know this. One, you got an empty box. Where is the bottle of cold medicine? Did he throw that away? If he did throw that away, why? Where is it? Or is it tablet form, which I doubt? Was there any left? Do we have any idea how much he had taken, if there was any left? Also, when did he buy it? If he bought it a month before, the fact that it's empty now would go toward a defense. Is there a receipt? Can we narrow down when, where it was purchased? Maybe even get him on video purchasing it that night and he drinks the whole bottle. I mean, there's still a lot to find in order to prove that he was voluntarily drinking Coruscant. Yes or no? No, I agree with you. Uh, not only when did he buy it, but is this something that he buys often? How often does he buy it? And, and, and what frequency is he going to the store to get it? There, There's a lot of issues here, here regarding the consumption of this cough medicine and over what period of time that he actually consumes it. But again, if he was using it recreationally, that's going to be a, a real problem. Uh, you know, when you were talking about the red the red stains on the sheets actually that could also be the cough medicine itself not only blood so there's still a lot is coracidin red the coracidin itself is not red but depending on how the dye that you use in the syrup it it could be red so that's you know something as well um he stabbed her in the bed (laughs) it's blood well more likely than not it's blood obviously back to the facts let's see i was thinking about the uh, oh, oh yes oh yes coracidin cough medicine bp as in blood pressure what is that and what if any is the significance of the bp it would obviously be medicine for people who have uh, high blood pressure because there are certain ingredients in cough medicines uh, or cold medicines that for example one that I won't say because I know you're going to give me a hard time about it. That No, go ahead, please. Uh, for example, things like uh, phenylpropanolamine uh, and other chemicals with names like that that can affect blood pressure. Uh, so it's probably a cough medicine designed to people who have hypertension so that doesn't affect their blood pressure. Um, question to you, Dr. Daniel Bober. To be a psychiatrist, you've got to be an MD and then more school for psychiatry. Yeah, you have to go to medical school before you're a psychiatrist, correct. Okay, so what effect, let me start with the body. What effect would a bottle of this stuff do? What would it do to you? Well, this drug is also related to drugs like ketamine and PCP. It affects something called the glutamate system, and it causes a dissociative 
effect, dissociative or out-of-body experience, where you actually become disconnected from your thoughts and from your emotions. So you're sort of floating in space, so to speak. That's the kind of effect that it would have, and that's the kind of effect that... You mean you float to the kitchen and get a butcher knife? In your brain, not in reality. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. You know, Joseph Scott Morgan, I mean, really... Have you listened to the 911 call? Did you listen when I was playing it, Joe Scott? Or are you tapping away on your iPad or something? I had a dream and my wife is dead. You know, the only other people that say that were O.J. Simpson. He had a dream, remember, that he killed Nicole Brown? Whoopsie, it was true. And then Amanda Knox from, you know, her trip in Italy says, I had a dream and I was covering my ears. I heard my roommate screaming in the next room. Well, of course, she was finally exonerated on appeal. But when people begin having clairvoyant type dreams and there happens to be a dead body in the same house with them, that gets me very nervous, Joseph Scott Morgan. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm a science guy. Uh, I'm not interested in dreams. I'm interested in reality. And reality here is that also in this call, he alluded to the fact that there was blood. Uh, he alluded to the fact that uh, he apparently had done this, that she didn't deserve this. I got I to gotta commend the police here. Uh, you know, one of the most impressive things about this whole, whole case to me is, is the fact that when you see his intake photo, Nancy, he has what appears to be dried blood on his face, and that gives me an indication that the police did not allow him to clean himself up, which is key in any kind of case like this because this demonstrates connectivity. They can demonstrate that he has what appears to be dried blood on his face, and I think that that is profound in this case. Also, if we can tie that blood back on his face and also relative to the sheets, if that is blood, which they will do several tests in order to determine that, that's going to be a major key in this Well, case. I mean, I'm telling you right now, it's her blood. Of course it's her blood. So uh, uh, the, uh, everything's covered in blood. He's covered in blood. Obviously, it was sling back from when he's lifting the knife to stab her repeatedly as she's bound to have been fighting for her life. I mean, I can tell you that. How does that help me prove a murder? Well, I can tell you this. Uh, we can say that it's blood all we want to, but from a scientific standpoint, I want it proved because I want this to be an airtight case and to demonstrate this. I know. I know. Just take the next step with me, Joe Scott Morgan. Don't get me started. All right. I've already got Bober on here, <laughs> but tell me, Joe Scott, just go with me on this. Let's just pretend. Okay. Let's take a tiny baby step in rationality. Of course it's her blood. I can already prove a murder case. How does that help me prove it even more? Are you saying he should have woken up out of his dream? What are you trying well, I can't to say? Speak to whether or not he would have woken up, but I can say that he had some kind of recognition because he admits to this on the on the 9/11 tape that he said that he was apparently involved in this. Now, this is going to be more in the psychiatrist realm. But I don't know how they're going to explain this away. What we can tie back is, can we put that knife in his hand and demonstrate that he is actually facilitating this death? I think that they're going to be able to do. Again, this goes to connectivity between him, the knife, and the defects in her body, which apparently appear to be multiple. Ashley Wilcott, help me, please. 
you know what, throw me a life raft here. I'm floating in a sea of speculation from Joe Scott Morgan and Dr. Daniel Bober, the forensic psychiatrist. You know, the reality is there's two of them in the home. She's stabbed dead. He's covered in blood. And he says, wow, I was high on coracetin. I heard it makes you feel good. I can't believe I did this. Yep. He, it is murder. And I'm missing something no, here. I don't think And so. I mean, Ashley, when you do a demo, a demonstration in front of a jury, and you show the velocity needed to stab her repeatedly over and over and over, where blood's going anywhere, she's struggling, she gets out of the bed, she tries to get away, that didn't wake him up? Right. I, really? I think it is murder. I do. And if he had this cold medicine in his system, this is a violent, violent act. And I think... He did it and then felt remorseful and said, uh-oh, what can I say? Oh, that's right. I did take this cold medicine. I think he knew he was doing it. I do think they can prove murder in this case. You know what's interesting, Ashley Wilcott? Um, you're married. You've got children. Uh, I think you'll know what I'm talking about. So he's got a Bible degree. He could be a pastor. He's doing yards. She's trying to work from home. You know, the most dangerous time for a woman in a relationship is if she tries to leave. Mm-hmm. Who's not to say, now this is speculation, that that night she's like, listen, you know what? I'm tired of footing your bills. Let's take a little break for a minute. And um, let's take a separation. You know, that is the most dangerous time for a woman. That's when most domestic homicides occur. Right? Am I right? Yeah, about I agree. And I think I don't know that because in her video that she posted just that night, trying to sell candles from her home business, um, just trying to make money any way she could. She looked. I've watched it a hundred times. She looks happy in her in her life, she, but that that means nothing. Ashley, that doesn't mean anything that she looked happy on a video. No, nope. and he could be under a lot of stress because of the financial needs of the family. And I, right, all of those things are true. And who knows what could have triggered him? Any conversation she might have had, speculation again, like you said, about separating, about the finances, about the condition of their marriage, about the state of their affairs. Any of those things could have triggered him to react this violently. And and they're fairly young. I mean, they've been married less than a year. Maybe one morning she woke up and found out it ain't all that and a bag of chips. And she's like, whoa, wait a minute. This is not what I signed up for. Another thing to Dr. Daniel Bober, forensic psychiatrist, this stuff, I mean, here's the deal. You don't need a dope dealer. You can just go to Walgreens and get um, Coracidin because it tastes like candy, Dr. Daniel Bober. Tastes like well, it's true, uh, Nancy. I mean, people, it just amazes me as a physician, as an addict. Wait a minute. You're not going to argue with me that it tastes like candy. You're not going to say something like, well, you know, I can't say myself that it tastes like It tastes like you can candy. Make it tastes like anything you want, Nancy. You can put anything, any flavoring you want. <laughs> but the point is, is that it's, it amazes me that people will find anything to abuse, whether it's Benadryl, whether it's Coracetin. And it's, you know, it's, or Sudafed, it's right on your shelf. You don't, like you said, you don't need a dope dealer. You don't need to go to go into a back alley. You can just go into a Walgreens or a CVS and it's right there. To Dave Mack, has he been 
formally charged. And Phelps was charged with murder. He's being held at the Wake County Jail without bail and uh, facing life in prison or even the death penalty. We have our eye on a Raleigh, North Carolina courtroom waiting for the latest Nancy Grace Crime Stories signing off. Goodbye, friend. In need of great talent for your business, but short on time like all of us? Well, you don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find the perfect hire. You just need the right tools, smarter tools. I'm talking about Zip Recruiter. With Zip Recruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with one Click and rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. And that is why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter does not depend on the right candidate finding you. It finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results right now. Listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free, F-R-E-E. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Nancy Grace, ZipRecruiter.com slash Nancy Grace. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Nancy Grace. Thank you, ZipRecruiter. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress. Lisa's Sapira Hybrid has been named Wirecutter's best hybrid mattress five years running. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash Nancy for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash Nancy. Thanks, Lisa Mattress, for being our partner. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible, Easy Breathe. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. 
For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed or do-it-yourself kits available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com. Get 20% off today. Thank you, Easy Breathe, for being our partner.